You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. So throughout this series, we've been considering the topic of the Holy Spirit, which sometimes is referred to as the forgotten God. We hear a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about Jesus, God the Son. Churches don't talk quite as much about God the Holy Spirit, but he's every bit as much God as the Father and the Son. So we've been exploring um, passages of scriptures throughout the last month where the Holy Spirit is raised as a topic. And we've been looking at like, what is he like and how does he behave and what does he do? And so uh, in the series so far, we looked at John chapter 14, which is one of the very first places in scripture where Jesus is um, telling his disciples about the Holy Spirit, first time they had ever heard or understood anything about him. And he explains a little bit about the Holy Spirit being God who comes to live inside of followers of Christ and to help them follow Jesus. Then we looked at Acts chapter two, when the church is born and we see this miraculous and marvelous and quite intriguing display of the Holy Spirit as he um, fills the early church with the power to share the gospel and um, tried to make sense of some of what went on there. And then we looked last week at Galatians chapter five, where the apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the kind of work and change that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives as we submit ourselves to him and his influence. And so we come to this final week of the series and, and um, I was spending a lot of time trying to decide what will be the topic for our fourth story? Because there's like a dozen more, at least a dozen more fascinating passages of scripture that talk about the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I was trying to decide, you know, which one would be the best. And before we look at some of the options, here's the thing that I most want us to get out of this series is that the best proof that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life amidst all of the different interpretations and understanding of how it looks or appears to look if the Holy Spirit is at work, the best proof that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is a better reflection of Jesus through your life. Like at the end of the day, the way that we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in us is that we look more like Jesus. Our attitude is more like Jesus. Our values are more like Jesus. Our priorities look more like the ones that Jesus would have. That's the best proof of the Holy Spirit. So here we come. We come to this final sermon. We come to this final topic. And, um, there was just so many to choose from. I mean, look, here's just some of the options. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and born of the spirit. I mean, what does that mean? It sounds like nobody gets to heaven unless they have some sort of an encounter and some sort of an experience with the Holy Spirit. And so we can't just be ignorant about the Holy Spirit because it sounds like eternal destiny. Rest in it. How about this passage of scripture? 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul writes, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? I mean, did you know that? In John chapter four, Jesus talked, 14, John, Jesus talked about 
the Spirit coming to live inside of us. Well, that has very practical implications on how we live our life. Our body is the place where he dwells. What do we do with our bodies? How about this passage? Romans chapter 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I don't know about you, but I have plenty of weaknesses. I need the Spirit's help. And we find out that the Spirit himself intercedes for us. When we're praying and we don't have the words to say what's really a reflection of our heart, did you know that the Spirit of God kneels there beside you and he is praying with words that you and I can't come up with? The Spirit intercedes for God's people. The Spirit of God is praying for you. Did you know that? Seems like there'd be something that would be worth talking about. How about this? Ephesians chapter one, the apostle Paul writes, when you believe, when you put your faith in Jesus, you were marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal. It's actually a a cultural reference to a king who had a ring and that ring would be impressed in, uh, in wet wax and it would be his seal. And that seal for us as Christians is the promised Holy Spirit. He's been placed in our life as a seal, as a deposit guaranteeing that all the promises that God has made to us, God the Father has made to us will come true, that they will be delivered on. How about this interesting passage in Ephesians chapter four? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How many of us live in an awareness that the Spirit of God who lives inside of us can be grieved? His heart can be broken by the choices that we make. And the way that we live our lives at times that are so inconsistent with the, uh, the nature of the Holy Spirit that he's like, oh, Paul, don't live like that. How about this? For the Spirit of God, he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do we understand the nature of the Spirit's work in our life for, for things like more power to our life or greater love for life? Or, man, I, I could just use some greater self-discipline. Anybody else? Seems like something we could understand. Or how about this? The first Corinthians chapter 12, now about the gifts of the spirit. And we scratch our head and go, what? Yeah, see the Holy Spirit, when he comes to dwell inside of us, he brings with him a gift that he gives to you, a spiritual gift. And he he distributes them to every Christian, every person in the room who's a follower of Jesus Christ. The spirit of God gave you a spiritual gift And this spirit distributes them to each and every one of us. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? It seems like it'd be worth a discussion about that. How about this? The renewal of the Holy Spirit. That when we place our faith in Christ, the spirit of God comes and he lives inside of us and he begins the work of changing us. The passage talks about at one time in our life, we lived for sin, but when we invited Christ into our life and the spirit came to live inside of us, now we live for something else and that's work of renewal is done by the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. I only have one message today and I have all these passages to choose from. And so I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks thinking, God, what what passage am I gonna use for the, fourth message of this series and I listened we all have our different ways of understanding how God speaks to us I I have my understanding of that you want to know what I heard here's what I heard (laughs) tackle the hard one (laughs) like seriously come on what do you mean tackle the hard one yeah tackle the hard one I go well 
How about like uh, Ephesians 4? I really like that passage. God, I've got some material already developed. on can, can I do that one? He said, no, tackle the hard one. I said, can we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? I mean, that's fascinating. We talk about spiritual gifts. No, tackle the hard one. Here's the deal. I knew what the hard one was. And I didn't put it on my list because it was hard. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure I understand it. So how in the world am I going to explain it to an audience? But God's relentless. When he speaks, he asks us to obey. He said, Paul, tackle the hard one. So guess what we're going to do today? I'm going to tackle the hard one. And I'm going to do my best to try to explain it to you. You ready? Those who live according to the flesh, they have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Flesh being used in this passage to describe sort of like our sinful fallen nature. That, every, that, that part of us that desires very naturally everything opposed to what God desires for us. Those who live according to what their nature, their sinful nature, have their minds set on what their flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So the mind governed by the flesh is death. We'll come back. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But the mind that's governed by the spirit is life and peace. That's the hard one. So let's just try our best to make it as easy and accessible as possible. You game? Okay, let's start with the basics. Those who live according to the flesh, they have their mindset on the things the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit, they have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh, it, it produces, it results in something that's like death, but the mind that's governed by the spirit it results in something that feels, looks a lot like life and peace. So, three things, just three simple observations. First is, there's something about what goes on in our mind that determines the quality of life we experience. You understand that? There's something about what goes on here, how we think, what we believe, what we value and treasure, what we hold to be important, the paradigm through which we look at life. There's something about what goes on in our mind that ends up determining the quality of life we experience. One way leads to death. The passage is very clear. Those whose minds are set according to the flesh experience death and the other leads to life and peace 
Now, the third one's critical. And it's this. The one that leads to life and peace involves the Holy Spirit. Again, this is why I think it's so critical that you and I as a church, that we have some sort of an understanding of the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. He has to be discussed. Because according to Romans chapter 8, it's what the Holy Spirit does and where we track with him in our minds that we know and experience that something that feels like life and peace. Because the alternative or the option is to know and experience something that feels like death. Now, I don't know about you. I just know a little bit about me. If I had to choose between death and life and peace, I know which one I'd choose. Do you? Yeah, it seems kind of painfully obvious. Like if I have a choice between something that smacks of death or something that feels a lot like life and peace, that's a no-brainer. I would like to experience something that feels like life and peace. You too? Okay, so then evidently we have to figure this out. Because it sounds like, according to the passage, there's two roads. And one of those roads, it leads to death, and one of those roads leads to something that feels like life and peace. And one of those is very fleshly oriented, something that has to do with the nature of sin in us as human beings. And one of those has to do with the very unique, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that all seems to come together in our mind and what goes on there. You still with me? So this whole idea of like these two roads, these are not unique to an understanding of what the Bible talks about. We see this parallel or this, this um, illustration all through the Bible about us as human beings being on some sort of a road because the road reflects a path of life. And the road that we're on, you ready? You ready? The road that we're on ultimately is determined by the choices that we make. So look at this, Proverbs, book of wisdom. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to what? Folks, I'm not gonna be shy about telling you, our world right now is offering us all sorts of roads that lead to death. And you know what? We live in a world that a lot of those roads are approved as being right. But the wisdom of Proverbs will tell us that in the end, you stay on that road, it will lead to death. Look at this. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, the, the thin one. It's not great big, wide and open. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction, to death. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Because the wide road is very popular. It's very appealing. The narrow road, it's not so popular. And you know what? It's more difficult. And only a few actually find it and stay on it to experience the life that it takes them to. 
So it sounds like we have a very important decision to make. What are we going to believe? What are we as Christians going to believe is the truth? And here's what I'm finding. I find this. Some people say, you know what? God's a liar. Because I tried living by the Spirit, and I did all the things, and it doesn't work. I didn't find life in peace. I went to church. I said my prayers. I read my Bible. I did all of the things, and I didn't find life in peace. My life wasn't any better for it. So evidently, God's a liar. Or the option is that God never lies, and what might be more true is I still don't understand all there is to setting my mind on the Holy Spirit. Or I haven't done it consistently enough or long enough to find the fruit of life and peace that comes with it. Did you follow that? I tried it. I tried it for a month. I tried it for a few weeks. I tried it for a year or two. It didn't work. Yeah, because God is inviting us to a way of life, a road that we stay on, and that road leads to life and peace. Does that make sense? Okay, so we have this contrast. We have this We have one road leads to death and one road leads to life. Now, I want you to understand that in the Bible, death and life are talked about in three different ways. They're all related, but they're different dimensions of how they're discussed. There's physical death and there's physical life. All of us know what that is. But it also talks about spiritual death. This is why we may very much be alive physically, but spiritually we are death. We are dead. We are separated from God. There's nothing spiritual inside of us by nature. We're born this way. And then there's spiritual life. Remember, Jesus said, you must be what? You must be born again because you're born dead spiritually, but through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be reborn spiritually at age 13, 33, 53, 93. You can come to a place where you are born again. There's life spiritually, and then death is also discussed in eternal perspective, is that we spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell, or we spend eternity experiencing eternal life at God's intended in his presence. Does that make sense? Okay, that's kind of backdrop. So we come to the book of Romans, one of the most outstanding books in the whole Bible. It's actually written very much from the perspective of an attorney making the case. And the case is this, is that we're born sinners. And our sin separates us from God and leaves us in peril of his condemnation because he's holy and righteous and just. But through the provision of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, sinners like myself have the opportunity to be restored to a relationship with God where he's no longer my judge, but now he's my father. So the first five chapters of the book of Romans are just simply explaining this legal transaction that takes place between God and sinners through the work of Jesus. Chapters like 6 through 11 or 12 
talks about like how that actually gets done, how the work of God in restoring sinners to the rightful place as righteous in his sight, how that actually works kind of from a spiritual perspective. And then the, the rest of the book, like chapters 12 through the end of the book is like the practical implications of like how a person lives out their transformation in Christ. And so right in the center of that is what? Romans chapter eight. And guess who the shining star is? The Holy Spirit. He's the whole linchpin to it all. That everything that God wants to do in the life of a human being to transform him, to make him different, to make her different, it's all because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what we find is The Holy Spirit is that member of the Trinity that's been specifically tasked to bring about spiritual growth and change in the life of a Christian. That's why it's so important that we as a church family, we have the vocabulary and the discussion about who the Holy Spirit is because he's the one that we're counting on to do the work of changing our lives. If he's not at work, we don't change. That's why it's so important. So here's here's kind of a contrast. We can live our lives kind of trapped in and captive to the sinful nature that we're born with, or we can take opportunity to discover all that is ours that's available through the work of the Spirit of God in our life. And what we find is that the flesh is very temporal. It's very focused on the now, the minutes, the hours, the weeks, and the months. Here in this space, the flesh, it loves intellect. What it doesn't like is wisdom. And there's a difference. Lots of smart people have lots of smart things to say, but they're not very wise. And what the Bible wants us to understand that even the smartest people on the planet can lead us down a road that leads to death. It's very expedient. It's like what's in the moment for me, what's very convenient. It's sinful by nature. It does not include God. It's very rebellious and it's very arrogant. No thanks, God, I got this. I'll figure this out on my own where the work of the spirit in our life is something completely different. It lives for eternity. It's keeping in mind that there's more to come than just what's done here on this earth. It's very disciplined instead of just living for the moment. It it looks at the long-term implications of how I think and how I choose and what I value. It can be very difficult at times because the road is narrow. It's not easy to go down the road of following Jesus It's very sacred. It's very godly. It is about a search for desiring the things that God wants, not what only I want. It's very submissive, which we as Americans, we don't even like the word. But the road that leads to life and peace, the work of the Holy Spirit invites us to humble ourselves and submit ourselves up under the authority of God and his influence in our life. And it's very humble. It's very humble because it's quick to admit, I don't know how to do this. I need some help. So again, we come back. Those who live according to the flesh, they have their mindset. Got that? So that's where we're gonna head here next. 
It's mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit designs. The mind that's governed or set by the flesh leads to death. The mind governed by the Spirit leads to life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It pushes God away. It says, I don't want to hear your perspective. I don't want your input. I don't want to live under your authority. I've got this. I'll do this on my own. It does not submit to God's laws. The mind that's fleshly, the mind that's controlled by the flesh, it doesn't like reading its Bible. It doesn't make a discipline for that because it doesn't want to hear what the Bible has to say, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Do you hear that? If we continue to choose to live our lives on the path that follows the fleshly desires of our heart, we cannot please God. It's not a discussion of, you know, degree. No, you cannot please God living that way. So what's it going to be? Life and peace or death? So there's this, there's this linchpin in the passage, the mind set on or the mind governed by. So let's, let's not make this complicated. Let's try to figure out that. Because every one of you in this room, you have a mind. Right? Yeah, it's the mind right now that's thinking, Do, am I even following this? Do I even like this? Okay, tell me more. That's your mind at work. Okay, so let's talk about these two phrases. Let's ask ourselves, honestly, like you personally and honestly ask yourself, what do you think about a lot? What, what's very attractive to you? What are you obsessed with? What do you spend a lot of time worrying about? What seems to be the thing you're fixated on? Like everything keeps coming back to it. You like never wander too far. Um, what, what are you all worked up about? Because I'll tell you that the answers to questions like that tells me where your mind is, what your mind's controlled by, what your mind is set on. It's set on wherever you spend a lot of your time obsessing thinking. And guess what? There's a host of them. For some of you, it's your job. Your mind is controlled by your job and all the expectations of it, the performance of it, the success of it. Some of you, it's your spouse. And as good as that sounds, you're so obsessed and fixated on your spouse that you can't be fixated and accepts with what the Holy Spirit of God wants to bring about in your marriage. Okay, we get this one this week, don't we? Some people, it's your health. But if I've learned anything about this area over the last 25 years, this area is obsessed with image. What people think of me, 
cars I drive, the house I live in, the clothes I wear, the places I go on vacation, putting up the wall, never letting anybody in to see the truth about what's really going on in my life. Big, big image people. Some are obsessed with friends or wealth. For some of us, it's our addiction. Our addiction has such a hold on our lives that we're literally fixated on it. We can't move past it. It's like we're anchored to something and the chain's about that long. We just get pulled back to it all the time. Some of it's hobbies. Okay, let me get myself in trouble. Golf, tennis, little league sports. We're obsessed with it. We're fixated on it. Some of us, it's our failure. We live shackled to the past. It's all there. You have to be honest with where your mind constantly goes. You say, well, but Paul, those are real things. I mean, that's real life right here. When am I not supposed to worry about them? I'm not supposed to think about them? I'm supposed to just be, you know, negligent and not mind them at all? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Because there's a difference between being obsessed with those things and your nature to control them and to make them go as you would like them to go or to look at every one of these things through this perspective. How do I look at this in terms of God's faithfulness to me or God's promises on my behalf? How am I seeing God's love, God's power, God's comfort where do I see God's grace? Am I fixated there? Am I grateful there? Am I steadily, am I uh, consistently, constantly spending time celebrating God's protection or am I just simply living in my fear? Do I celebrate God's patience or do I only remember my failure? Am I acquainted with, with God's purposes and how he's at work in my life and, and his truth and his sovereignty? Do I spend myself, my time looking at all of the previous things through the perspective of what the Holy Spirit of God is inviting me to fixate on his presence in all of them. Does that make sense? You know, when I was in graduate school, um, what was that, two years ago? <laughs> it's like 30 years ago. Um, I, lived, I lived in a home with a family. They had a room to rent. They became like family. I mean, it was wonderful. I was about... Uh, I was about 30 minutes from campus, which would take about an hour in Dallas traffic. And I started noticing something. I started making note of how long it would take from the time my alarm went off to the time I got to campus before I'd remember, oh, yeah, God. You know, Christian, Jesus... Spirit, and what I kept finding is that my alarm could go off and I, I'd already be at campus before I'd ever pray. Or I'd think about like the fact that I'm in a relationship with the living God and that the spirit of God indwells me. And so I was, that whole hour to school, I was caught up in, oh, I gotta get this 
assignment done and I, I got to get ready for this test. And oh my gosh, I got another paper to write and I was all worked up. How am I going to pay for this semester? And oh, my tank's on empty. I sure hope I make it to school. And, and, and so I started, I started this little experiment. And I felt like there was progress if I, if I made it to like Mockingbird and remembered, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Because that was like another 20 minutes till school. So that was at least closer. And I thought it was a really big deal when I remembered I was a Christ follower and God was a part of my life when I made it to White Rock Lake. Because really that was just around the corner. But the really the best days is when my alarm went off. And the first thought that came to my mind was, oh yeah, God's got this. He's going to take care of me. The spirit of God lives inside of me. I'm going to be okay. So how far do you make it through your day before you start framing your worries and your fears and your image and your job and your children and your marriage and your health when you start framing it in terms of the fact that I'm in the hands of the living God And he lives inside of me called his Holy Spirit. And I have everything that I need for this day. My kids have everything that they need for this day. My job will take care of itself because I am in a relationship with the living God who lives inside of me through the person of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm here to tell you is that a mind that's set on the spirit will ultimately bring about something that feels like life and peace. Because I'll tell you that worry and fear and anxiety and stress and chasing after image will only produce death in you. It'll produce sadness and depression and discouragement and defeat and you will not feel alive. And you and I, we have a choice. What road we're gonna take. What we're gonna allow our minds to be fixed on. Does that make sense? So I leave you with this. It's hard to set your mind on the things the Holy Spirit wants if you don't know what the Holy Spirit desires. So let me give you four suggestions and then we gotta go. You say, Paul, we really had to go about six minutes ago. Yeah, thank you. I would highly recommend for the person who wants their mind to be fixed on the work of the Holy Spirit that you begin, if you haven't already, a discipline of reading and studying the Bible because the desires of the Holy Spirit are revealed in the pages of the scripture. If you're going days, weeks, months, years without a regular diet of the word of God and its exposure to your mind, There's no chance you're living by the Spirit. And that leads to death. I would encourage a prayerful spirit that lives in the awareness of the Spirit's place in our life, that every day you get out of bed, remember the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And don't make it about some sort of routine or habit where I gotta make my prayers for this 10 minutes a day. Make it about an ongoing conversation that all the time I can talk to God because he lives inside of me in the person of the Spirit. 
I would advise a priority of worship with a community of faith centered in Jesus in the scriptures. It doesn't have to be here, but we invite you here because we are longing to be a community of faith that's centered in Jesus in the scripture for the hope of all of us having a mind that's fixed on the nature of the spirit and his work in our life. And then I would encourage you toward a circle of Christian friends with whom you discuss your faith. Church is great. I'm a big fan. (laughs) But I think life groups are better because they're more personal. They're more authentic. And I think every one of us who desires to be led by the Spirit ought to be in a group of other Christians who you meet with regularly to openly and honestly discuss your faith. You can eat pie if you want while you're there. But if it's just about eating pie and drinking coffee, then you're missing the point. It's about discussing your faith and the struggles that go on in your heart and your soul so that your mind can be fixed on the work of the Spirit in your life. Make sense? Okay. I have one last thing to say. You know, we can talk all day about Jesus being the answer. We can talk all day about Jesus being the hope of the world. We can talk all day about the Holy Spirit being the means of life and peace. And somewhere along the line, we as Christians, we have to decide what do we believe about what we believe. Because if it sounds plastic to us to say that Jesus is the hope of the world in light of what happened this week in Uvalde, Texas, it's because we don't really believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. If we believe that every human being is far from God on a path to death and that it is only through accepting Jesus Christ that they can be welcomed to a road that leads to life and peace, and yet we shrink back and shy away from telling our friends about Jesus, then we don't really believe it. So I think it's time, it's long overdue for Christians to rise up and in boldness and courage start telling our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, strangers that we meet about Jesus because it's only through a relationship with Jesus that the Holy Spirit can come and be at work in that person's life so that they know something that feels like peace. But if we continue to shrink back and shy away from telling people the truth about Jesus, then we shouldn't be surprised that the road keeps ending up in death. May that begin here at this church, with you. Let's believe that Jesus is, in fact, the hope, the healing, and the help that everybody in our world really does need. Make sense? Let's stand together. Let me pray for you.
God, there's two roads ahead of us. One heads off in a direction that doesn't make you an important part of it. In fact, it pushes you off the road and it heads off toward death. And there's another road you invite us to take and your spirit walks with us on it and it leads to something that's life and peace. And we choose. It's up to us. It's, us. it's up to us to choose what road we want to travel. God, I pray. I pray for men and women in this room that will be wise to choose the road that your Holy Spirit travels. And that we would give ourselves to learning more about his place in our life. And we'd begin to fix our minds on the things that he desires so that we might, in fact, enjoy all the life and the peace that he has to offer. And may we be the people who invite courageously as many of our friends, neighbors, coworkers, relatives, spouses, children to join us on that road without fear. I pray and ask in Christ's name.